All right, let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you, God, that you're kind and you're full of mercy. I thank you that your word promises us that, that your kindness and, and, and your mercy pursue us. And I thank you that we're just going to let them catch up to us in Jesus' name. We thank you for it tonight. We pray for revelation. And Lord, if there's kindling inside our hearts, I pray for spark to come tonight. And that that burst into flame. And that our passion for you um, be like it's never been before. Lord, I just ask you to move in our midst and, and, and to move on us tonight as we come before you. God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, when I was preparing this outline, um, it was just going to be a nice Bible study. That's, that's all it was going to be. Uh, it's just going to be a nice Bible study. And so, um, often after I prepare an outline, I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to put that together because I, I don't know if that even, even goes together. In fact, most of them are like that because I realize that the outline is not anointed. It's the word that's anointed. But um, I, uh, so I got up this morning, I was praying. I was praying for a couple of you and into my prayer time. And then I had my daily Bible reading and I got finished early somehow. So I was praying in the spirit. I mean, God just started talking to me. And so I added a few things based on what I feel like he told me that may not be as nice a little Bible study as I was planning on. So I tell you, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is, is, is trying to get our attention. I mean, he's doing it, and he's getting lots of our attentions. And so I feel like this is what the Lord said something to me this morning. He said, he told me that Israel was and is a nation that he chose, and they have an everlasting covenant with him. But the United States is a nation that, that it's, in its inception, we chose God. God chose Israel. The United States chose God. I mean, when this, when this country was being formed, I mean, we chose him. And the church also has an everlasting covenant. God chose them. We chose God. This nation was founded on the principles of God's word. I mean, his hand is clearly seen in our great history. I mean, you look at our history. You know God's hand has been on the United States. I mean, just just go to Washington, D.C. and look at the buildings, and you see scripture everywhere. You see references to God everywhere. And so today, the enemies of our nation are trying to cancel God, trying to cancel the church to form a godless society and a godless government. So I'm going to be political here for just a couple of minutes, if that's all right. The first warning Jesus gave the disciples when he began to speak of the end times was this. He said, take heed that no man deceive. So we've got to make sure that we're not deceived. I'm going to tell you, after I prayed this morning, while I was praying, and the Lord began to say some things to me, I felt like a toy that gets wound up really tight. And so I'm pretty wound up. I'm trying to hold it back here for a couple of minutes. But we, we need to not be deceived. The cancel culture and all the, 
the 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 political correctness and and all that stuff. I mean, let me just tell you the truth. They care nothing for black lives. They care nothing for them. Their mantra is that black lives matter, and they have this myth that they refer to as systematic racism. And, and they say that that's, that's in our country. Listen, if they cared about black lives, they'd be caring about the loss of black businesses destroyed in the riots that they aided and abetted in our cities. They would care. They'd be concerned over the black-on-black crime, especially black-on-black gun violence in our cities like Chicago and Baltimore every weekend. They'd be caring about those. No, no, the cancel culture isn't about civil war statues and, and other symbols of American greatness. The cancel culture is led by Marxist extremists and has one goal, and that is to cancel God in this country. That is their one and single aim. The church and the power of the Holy Spirit is the only thing standing in the way of their agenda. I'm telling you, without the voice of the church, there's nothing in their way. Once the church is silenced, nothing will stop them from carrying out this diabolical plan that they have. I mean, they have a plan. The church, and I've gone off on this the last couple of times, but the church's limp-wristed response to when prayer was moved from the public schools and the public space, when, when, when we had this weak response to the legalization of abortion and the legalization of same-sex marriage, can I just tell you something? That was a dry run. It was just a dry run for this current group of radicals that are out there. They've been, if we think for, any, for a moment that it was a happenstance, for, for this virus to come and for the churches to shut down and then riots to rise up. I'm telling you, the devil's had it in his plan for a long time. It's not, it's not a coincidence that all that had. If, if that doesn't wake up the church, we are in trouble. The church has to wake up. I mean, while we were sleeping, and silent, demon hosts that we drove from this land two centuries ago have reared their ugly heads in defiance to the God of our fathers. And they've come back. I mean, this nation was forged as a result of a great awakening. I mean, God's hand was everywhere. As of late, the church has been asleep at the wheel. We're going to have to take the nation back and drive those spirits out another time. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus said, These signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they will cast out devils and they will speak with new tongues. I'll tell you, the church has to rise up in the hour in which we live and understand we have authority over every demon spirit. And those spirits, they were assigned by demonic hosts centuries ago to certain parcels of land. And they're coming back because they think they can stay because the church is not standing up and driving them out. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus said, He called them His twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. We are His disciples. We have power over unclean spirits. 
Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. I'm telling you, we've got to decide tonight to refuse to sit idly by and remain silent. We cannot be that. In Jesus' name, we must speak up for righteousness in this critical hour and refuse to return to the nap after the lockdown. We can't just go back and allow the devil to take it. I mean, I'll tell you, our, our edifices of worship are going to become empty and the cancel culture will destroy them if the church doesn't rise up now. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 20, 34, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Man, we, there's much, much, much that we can be doing right now. We can't just take it. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, you have a voice in the spirit world. You have a voice, that, and it will be heard. I mean, and it will be heeded in the spirit realm if you understand who you are. And then we have to lift up that voice in the natural realm and not be afraid to say the things that need to be said. We have to develop ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the churches in this day. I mean, somebody talking about before we started tonight that they've heard other people, uh, Linda was saying that they've heard other people talking about what I'm talking about because God is speaking to the church. He's speaking to people who, who he's calling to stir up a fire in the people of God. Back, back from 2007 to 2014, the late Kim Clement prophesied about Donald Trump. And you, I think you've all heard those prophecies perhaps. I mean, he said he would be president at the time, George Bush was the president, and Obama was getting ready to be elected, and everybody thought it was crazy. They thought it was foolishness when he said Trump would be the trumpet. Back in 2007, he prophesied, listen, he prophesied that Trump would defeat a witch trying to get into the White House. That's what he prophesied. I'm going to tell you, he had a word from God, and he prophesied. He said, this is, I, I read through these prophecies the other day. He said Trump would be hot-blooded. <laughs> he was right. He said he would suffer from the mockery of the mainstream media. He prophesied that Trump would be impeached, but he couldn't be impeached. He prophesied that his desire was to protect America, that under his leadership there would be a strong economy, that he will throttle the enemies of Israel and the West. He prophesied that Trump will be a praying man and that both political parties in the United States will have a hard time with him and that God would set him in office. Man. And yet the church has spoken against him. The church has not stood with the man. Lastly, Clement, Kim Clement prophesied that Trump will win a second term and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, those are major prophecies. All of them but the last one has come to pass. From 2007 to 2014, he started when, when George Bush was the president of the United States. And he said Trump would be the trumpet. And he began to prophesy. I mean, they're amazing prophecies if you go back and listen to them. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to Kim Clement or not, but he is a strange or was as strange as the day is long. 
long old hair sitting at the piano and he would sing and worship and then he would prophesy. He would sing and worship and prophesy. You didn't know if he was hearing the Holy Ghost or on drugs, but obviously he was hearing the Holy Ghost. <laughs> he heard God. He heard what God was saying. I mean, and, and, and yet the church with such clear words have not really supported God's man that he put in this place. I mean, many people, since now, since that time, especially lately, many people prophesied that Trump will win a second term. Pretty easy prophecy, right, in my opinion, since Clement already said all the other accurate things. You might as well go with that. But here's my question tonight. Is this one of those words from God that's just going to be automatic? Or is there something that the church ought to be doing in the meantime? Is it going to just happen because it was prophesied? Or is there something else that needs to happen? I mean, while, while some totalitarian types of governors and mayors have demanded the closures of the churches in the face of the COVID-19 and demanding that there's no singing, and while, while preaching on, on some topics is considered hate speech, and while the anarchists are speaking loudly and destroying our cities, much of the church has remained neutral and silent and afraid. We don't want to be closed down. Refusing to speak up for the Bible, refusing to speak up even for the U.S. Constitution because they're afraid. They, the media has done such a remarkable job of preaching fear to the society in which we live that people are even afraid to go out, their, out of their doors, afraid to go to the supermarkets, I mean, many of the uh, people who've, who've reopened the churches have acted as if it's business as usual and there's no sense of urgency in the body of Christ in this hour. I mean, this is an important time. They don't understand why the people are staying away and they think because they're afraid of the virus. That isn't why they're not going. That isn't why they're staying away. There is no clear vision to stand for and to speak for. There, there, there just are these felt need messages and the goal is to get it back to normal. God forbid that it ever go back to normal. The church needs to be a place of militant believers willing to stand for God against this, this reproach of the enemy. They are standing up just like Goliath and, and just defying the armies of God. You stay home and you be quiet, little Christians. We know what we're doing. David went out to take the, the cheese to his brothers. You remember the story? He gets there and they are in their foxhole singing Kumbaya or whatever they were doing. And Goliath came out twice a day taunting them, telling them, send out somebody, send out somebody. And, and David's like, who is that guy? And they said, oh, that's, that's Goliath of Gath. He's the, he's the baddest guy. And David's like, what happens if you kill him? And they said, well, you don't have to pay any taxes anymore. Well, he could just stop right there, right? No more taxes. Get to marry the king's daughter. You get all this money for reward. Man, he said, wow. He starts talking about it. And his brother comes over and he says, he says, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be watching those, those little sheep you came from. David looked at his big brother. Now, David's seventh he looked at his oldest brother and he said, is there not a cause? 
Is there not something worth fighting for here? Is there not something worth standing for here? Isn't there something that ought to get you out of your foxhole and go take that guy out? Is there not a cause? I mean, and he made such such a ruckus among those people that they took him to Saul. And you know the story how he took out the giant. But he said, is there not a cause? See, these are critical times for the church and for this nation. I ask you the question, is there not a cause? Isn't there a cause? I mean, what about our children? What about our grandchildren? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? What about the future of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the United States? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? What about the freedoms that we hold to be so dear? Is there not? Shouldn't the church be willing to stand up and fight for what is true? Be willing at least to speak up for what is true. At least say what the truth is without fear of the cancel culture, without fear of the political correctness? Is there not a cause for prayer that righteousness will prevail in this coming election season? I tell you, if Biden were elected president, this nation is in worse trouble than it is now. Because he, he would welcome the rioters and the looters. He would welcome them. That, that, that would be a disaster for us. Are we willing to allow those who hate our way of life to tear it away from us? Because the media has pumped us full of all that humanistic garbage about, about systematic racism. You cannot, you cannot back that saying up. You can't go back in history and prove any of that. In fact, I believe that some of my relatives were slaves when they brought them over from Northern Europe. Just saying. Is there not a cause? I can't prove that either, by the way. For many churches and pastors... A long time ago, they put it in cruise control and think they're going to arrive at the desired destiny without faith, without fighting the fight of faith. There will never come a day when the just don't live by faith. It's going to take faith believing. So, what about this prophecy that Ken Clement had? What about... What about any prophecy? What about any words you get from God? How, how do, what do we do when we get a word from God? What do we do? See, many people think, well, if it's the will of God, it'll just automatically come to pass. You know, uh, I mean, there's some things that doesn't matter what you believe or what you do, it's going to come to pass. I mean, there will be a rapture of the church, whether you believe for it or don't. Now, there is the theology that says you've got to believe for it to get to go, not my particular theology, but there is that theology out there. But the rapture of the church is a real thing. It will happen. It doesn't matter what you believe, it's going to happen. The Antichrist will rise. It doesn't matter what you believe, it's going to take place. Now, my theology is this, because I, I think I can show it to you tonight, though. We're not going to be here for that. But the, there is. Some things are going to happen, but, but, most words from God have to be believed for. 
I mean, the only time the word automatic, the only time a word similar to automatic is even used in the scripture is when the gate automatically opened for Peter when the angel was leading him out of the prison. That's the only time the word is there, and he, and he, he didn't even know it was real. Listen, just because something is the will of God doesn't mean it's going to come to pass. The scripture says God is not willing that any should perish. And yet people perish every day because they refuse the reality of the gospel and they go to hell against the will of God. It's not God's will for Christians to be deceived. And yet they're deceived all over our land. Those aren't his will. Most of the time, in most words we hear from God, it's up to us to do something about what God said. Remember, grace is always channeled through faith. The scripture says, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith is a channel that God has to work. We've got to believe what God said. It's not enough just to have heard and assumed. The Bible doesn't say that we walk by assumption. The Bible doesn't say we walk by what we believed. We walk by faith now, what we believe now. If you... If you get a word from God, say, say you're at, at, at some meeting and the prophet comes to you and he says, Oh, oh, sister, there's healing in your hands. God is saying there's healing in your hands. I've heard that prophecy many times. Not to me, but to others. What do you do? Hallelujah. Got healing in my hands. Wait for the sick people to come? No, you got to do something. Or you may think, well, that must not be a word from God because nobody came to get healed. When you read in the Bible and you find that it's God's will to heal you, what do you do? Hope and pray it happens? No, there's something that has to be activated. When we read the promise, we've got to know what to do. When we hear the word, we've got to know what to do. I heard a sermon years ago from a guy, and it was says, what to do between the amen and that there it is. The prophet gives you the word. And he says, there's healing in your hands. Amen. There's something that happens between there and when you say, there it is. A lot of things have to happen. So let me just, this is pretty, this, this is pretty simplistic, but let me just share. I'm going to read you some verses of scripture from Mark chapter 5. You know the verses. I'm just going to read them to you. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years had suffered many things of many physicians, had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him, told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So here's how faith works. I'm just going to share it with you really briefly. Number one, it says, now, there's no really such thing as a formula. You've got to hear what God tells you to do. But the first thing it says, when she heard of Jesus, the first step in receiving the word from God is to hear. You've got to hear the word. 
You can't hear all the other things. You got to know that in that time, people were saying all kinds of bad things about Jesus. They were saying all kinds of things about that he's a phony, that he's a fake. These people are just being healed of, of, of psychosomatic illnesses. These people are being hired to be healed. They had to be saying the very same things then that they're saying now when people get healed. And so she had to hear something true. She heard that Jesus is the healer. And when she heard he's the healer, that was the first step. But that wasn't the end of it. It says, she, she, she heard of Jesus, came and touched his garment, for she said, if I but touch the clothes, I shall be whole. She heard the word, and then she said the word. When we receive the word from God, we have to hear it, but we have to say it. And I'm going to tell you something. You've got to say it no matter what the circumstance says, no matter what you feel like, no matter what the newspaper says, no matter what the latest polls reveal. You've got to say what the word says regardless of how you feel or what you think others might think. We have some friends, and they have a daughter. This was years ago. They lived in Houston, and their daughter was in the garage and she screamed, the dad came out just in time to see the copperhead slither away. And it bit her on the arm. They rushed her to the hospital. The doctor said, she's going to die. He said, no, do not say that to me again. And he and his wife began to pray for that baby. And I mean, the doctor came in and says, well, if she lives through the morning, she might make it. He said, no. She will live and not die. Her parents got there, and they're like, oh, I'm afraid she's going to die. He said, no, get out of the room. He wouldn't hear of any other word. And he said, she will live and not die. The doctor came back and said, well, if she lives till tomorrow, he said, no, she will live and not die. Can I tell you something? She's alive today and didn't die. She has two little marks in her arm that testify that the word of God is true. Amen. I mean, man, they just took the scripture and said that if a snake bites her, she's not dying. Mm -hmm. They did not entertain any other voice. And they said only what God said to them. That's how you're going to get the word from God. And then she did the word. She touched him. She heard the word. She said the word. She did the word. We've got to be willing to do whatever, whatever the Lord tells us to do. And I believe with all my heart in this hour, he's saying the church has to rise up and speak up. And we have to speak in the spirit. We have to speak in the pulpit. We have to speak in the marketplace. We've got to speak up wherever we are. He's saying that's what has to happen. And you know what? Jesus called that faith. He called that faith. And he's saying, your faith rescued you. Your faith healed you. Your faith saved you. Your faith delivered you. America needs deliverance. And it's going to take people of faith to rise up in the hour we live. We've got to hear what the Word says and what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We've got to get away from the mamby-pamby feel good things that are going on in church and speak up and speak right. We've got to speak the promise of God and the word of God in the place of prayer. We've got to speak it. I mean, our pulpits ought to be full of fire this, 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 this time of our lives. I'll be full of fire. I mean, we've got to do what he said. I mean, the hour is critical. We've got to lift up our voices and not be ashamed or afraid. 
you know, we have, we have everything to gain here. We don't have much to lose because, I mean, they're taking it. They're taking ground all the time. They want to cancel the church. We must give ourselves to a cause that is bigger than we are. You know what? We're in the perfect spot. We face an enemy in the natural that we can't defeat. Just like David faced Goliath. Just like Jesus faced death. It's going to take the power of God and the hand of God. The church must move out of its lukewarm state and begin to make a difference. We've got to move. We can't be lukewarm anymore. And that brings us to our passage of Scripture tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Revelation chapter 3. We read, we've been reading this every week. Verse, beginning at verse 14. And the angel, to the angel of the church of La- the Laodiceans write, these, same, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Now this is Jesus talking to the richest church in the world that lived in the richest city. They were rich. He said, I know your works. He said, I know because I've actually seen what's going on in your church. I know it. It's not their church. It's his church. He said, but I know what you're doing. I've been there. I've seen it. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I hope you heard when I talked about where the water came in the pipes and it wasn't cold or hot. The hot water brought healing. The cold water brought refreshing. And, and Jesus is saying, he's saying, you, you, don't, you, you, don't have that, you don't have healing anymore. You don't have refreshing anymore. You're lukewarm. And if we took a drink, please spit it out because it was not any good. Because that's what happened in Laodicea because of the, the waters that came from uh, Colossae and, and Hierapolis. He said, he said I, I, it was, it, they tasted bad to him. Now, he's not giving up on them, and we're going to find that out as we go here. He's not giving up on them, but he did not like what was going on there. I believe that if Jesus tasted the church of the United States today, he would spit it out. And I'm not talking about the Baptist church and the Methodist church. I'm talking about the charismatic church as well. Because it's become lukewarm. He said, he said because thou sayest, I am rich. Literally, it says, I am the rich and increase with goods that I have put on myself. And have need of nothing. They said, we are so rich, we don't need you or anybody else, Jesus. They didn't, they didn't say it that way, but that's what they were, that's what they were doing. He said, he said, and know us not. You are absolutely clueless that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I can't go reteach all that, but that, those, those are powerful words that he said to them. He said, I counsel thee. Let's get together. Let's talk about this so we can come into an agreement to buy of me Gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And I'm going to read this the way it says in the Greek: I, as many as I, as many if I love them, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And that's as far as we've gotten so far. The next verse says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his, in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Man, Jesus is reporting what he sees at this rich church. Because this church, 
like the church in America seems to be sleepwalking. They seem to be going through the motions. They're the richest church out there. Oh, I don't want Siri to talk to me right now. Okay. They're the richest church. They're, the, they're, they're wealthy. I mean, they're good people. They're good people. These aren't evil people. They're good people. But they're totally clueless about their abject spiritual condition. They're good people. I mean, and I want you to notice something. Jesus tells them, before he's going to go in there again, he tells them they've got to do two things. They've got to be zealous and repent. We need to know one thing that's very important. Before revival will come, repentance must come. Repentance must come. We sing songs all the time, not all the time, but over the years, send revival, send us revival, send us revival. God can't send revival to an unrepentant church. We have to see, we have to see. Listen, it can't come till the church repents of being lukewarm. Listen to this verse, 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The house of God has to be the standard. It has to be where the assay has taken place. The church must must come to this place. We don't want revival isn't just a bunch of other people coming in. Revival is about repentance. Revival is more than, than a big draw. People, revival, I mean, a real revival, it'll close down topless bars and those types of things in our city. It'll close down all those things. It'll silence the cancel culture because they can't stand against that. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The church needs to come to the place of repentance. Repentance is a new way of thinking followed by a new way of acting. We said the word is metanoia, change mind. We've got to change the way we think. I like it where Jesus tells them, tells them he said, I want to clothe you so your, your, the shame of your nakedness won't be seen. When I, when I read that, I, always, I think of Adam and Eve. I think of them, you know, they ate the fruit. The first thing they knew, they were naked. And they went and hid themselves. They were too proud to get to God. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'll clothe you. I thought about this. Pride hides. <laughs> if you're proud, you've got to get away from God. Pride hides. Humility admits responsibility and repents. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's the goal of Jesus. Mercy, his kindness. Okay, let's get to verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, every preacher that you probably have ever met has used that verse evangelistically. We've used it to draw the lost and, and we, we, we've done that because it works. I mean, people hear that and it's, and it's a true statement. But think about this though. This is not talking to the lost. This passage of scripture is talking to the church the lukewarm church. Notice where Jesus is in this passage. He's outside the church. He's not in there with them. They think they lack nothing, yet the reason for their very existence isn't even included in the services. 
But we got a fog machine. <laughs> what about the glory of God? Well, we got the lights. What? Really? What about Shekinah glory that lit up the Holy of Holies? And and I, what? What about that? I mean, they, they he wasn't even there. And here's the saddest part of all of it: they didn't even know it. They didn't have a clue. They're having great services, they think. Everything's going good. I mean, there's great music, probably intriguing sermons about the many problems of life. I'd probably refer to them as first world problems that they're going through. And, 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 and they talk about all those things, but they've lost sight of the very person they've come to worship and didn't even notice he was locked out of the church. Oh. Locked out of the church. Jesus can't even get into his own church. He's out on the street wanting to get in. Man, how many churches today are going through the motions? Having what I call the church show. How many Christians go to watch the show? You know, you go to a secular rock concert and they hold their phones and do this. <laughs> Where'd they get that? They got that from the Charismatic Church. This little light of mine. They go watch the church show with all the trappings of what I call the Christian religion, which is different than Christianity. And they're totally unaware of the reality that Jesus is not there hasn't been allowed to be in a long time. I remember years ago, back in the 70s, right after I got spirit-filled, well, maybe a couple of years, a famous preacher came to the Lubbock Municipal Auditorium. He was a famous TV preacher. And he came and oh, all the people came, you know, because all of us charismatics went to every big-name preacher that came. <laughs> we were in there and this big-name preacher was there and they were like, I'm not going to tell you his name because you'd know it. That would be disrespectful. But they were like, oh, praise so-and-so. He's good. He's the best. Praise. How much money you got? Put it all in the plate. And this one guy, how many will give $10? How many $30? How many everything in your wallet? Oh, praise him. He's coming out in just a minute. He's going to be here. He's going to be here. My friend leaned over to me and he said, you know, I really envy the Holy Spirit. I said, yeah, why? He said, because he didn't have to come to this. <laughs> That's kind of the way it is with church today. Jesus didn't have to come. He wanted to, but they locked the door. That's why there are no manifestations of the Spirit. Jesus can't get in. He can't come in. That's why there's no courage to stand for righteousness in the present age. Because Jesus can't come in. That's why the church is silently being overrun by a totalitarian, godless government. Jesus can't get in. Wow. He, he's not there. He's not there. That's why we said, where are the miracles? I'm going to tell you, if he's not there, you're not going to get miracles. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Now, again, I'm not referring just to the mainline denominations. I'm talking about the so-called charismatic and spirit-filled churches. Mm -hmm. Because quite honestly, today, you cannot tell the difference. 
Jesus said, I stand at the door. Though he's been ushered out of the door, this is good. here's the good news. He refuses to give up on his church. He refuses. He's still standing at the door. Remember, at the first year I talked to you about him having the keys of the door of David. I mean, he has these keys. Ooh, man. He's the only one who can open a door that no man can shut and close the door that no man can open. But he can't get through this door until they open it. He will never violate the will of the church. The church has to want Jesus to come in. The church has to desire Jesus. The word door means a door, but in this case it's referring to a door that's closed and barred and locked. Jesus cannot get in the door. That means that he only he has no access. He has no access to the people. The people have no access to his supernatural provision, power, and presence, even though they think they got it all. They don't have it. They can't because he's not there. The door represents opportunity. Jesus is saying, I'm still here. Just give me the opportunity to come back in there. Give me the chance. The church, listen to me, the church must repent. God ain't going to repent for us. The church must be zealous. The church must open the door. Jesus isn't going to knock the door open. He will not and cannot do it for us. We must open the door. He says, I stand at the door and knock. The word knock here doesn't mean to just tap on the door. It literally means to knock incessantly with a heavy blow. Here's what Jesus said. I stand at the door and am pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding on the door. Jesus is pounding on the door. He was pounding. He's pounding. I mean, he, he was saying, as he, he pounds, he said, just crack this door open a little bit. All I need is an opportunity to get back in. He's pounding on the door of the church. I'll tell you, if you are listening today, you hear him pounding. You hear him pounding on the door. We must allow him back in the church. He says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him. The knocking is his voice. He's calling to the church. He's crying out to the church. If anyone will just hear his voice, hear has to do with hearing and understanding. Psalm 29, 4 says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Jesus promised in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. We must, he says, the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Let me tell you what that means. It means you've got to quit listening to the stranger or you get confused. We follow his voice when we make that the voice we hear, when that's what we pay attention to. Jesus in this passage has not given up on this church. And I believe with all my heart, he hasn't given up on the church of the United States. He hasn't. Now, he may rearrange things. He may rearrange leadership all over this country in the church, but he is speaking. He's still speaking. We've got to turn off the noise of our own plans and agendas and allow Jesus to come back. We've got to get rid of what seems right. What seems right? You know, back, back in, the, in the 80s, uh, pastors were invited to go to church growth conferences and these so-called experts would have church growth conferences. And Let me tell you what it was about. It was about church marketing. Because the Holy Spirit wasn't bringing them so we had to get somebody else to help us. And so we were trying to grow that way. 
you know, and our, our, our church was fairly spiritual in those days, and, and so we tried doing that. I'm telling you, they left in droves. We had to get back to the words so they'd come back to see us. The Bible says there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Just because it seemed right. Just because it seems right. That doesn't make it right. The church needs to be revived. The phrase, the word revived means to be vived again. Vive again. It means to come back to life. Man, she's dead because we've made our plans and we have no room for the voice of the master. No room. Our job is to hear. We must make a choice to hear so we'll hear and open the door and do it on purpose. We're not going to accidentally let him in. We've got to choose to let him in. We must give him the opportunity. We must hear his voice. We must clear our agenda and allow him inside. Jesus said, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This is the greatest part of all this story. He isn't threatening them. He didn't say, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'm coming in slapping the preacher on the face and I'm going to set things straight in here. No, 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 no. He, he said, he, he didn't say any of that. When he says, I will come, the word come means to come right now. He promises he will come back in right now. It's not too late. But the church has to rise up. He said, I will sup with him. The word sup here has to do with an intimate evening meal among close friends and family. This is just close ones, the intimate ones. Jesus is saying, let's get it back to the way it's supposed to be, where I have intimacy in my church. Listen, he didn't want to bring them retribution. He wanted to bring them a banquet. He wanted the fellowship again. He wanted to be with them. I mean, it's not too late. It's not too late. He tells, he says to him that overcometh, I will grant to him, grant him to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father and his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. Listen, when we let Jesus back in, we, be, we can become overcomers again. The word overcome is, is a continual thing. To overcome again and again and again. The Greek word is Nike. It means champion. He said, you'll be a champion. You'll be a continual champion. He, Jesus, I'll tell you, he's raising up champions of faith right now who are willing to fight the good fight of faith. But we must have ears to hear. Much of the church isn't listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying. We think somehow it's time to get back to the old programs and do what we were doing before the lockdown because we were successful then. The Holy Spirit is saying it's time for revival. We must move back to the place of healing and refreshing and getting Jesus back in the house. Not a feeling, not an imitation. The Spirit is speaking to the church. We must awaken. We've got to move out with Jesus' command once again. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, we call out to your church and we say, wake up. We call out to your church tonight and we say, do what Jesus has called you to do. Lord Jesus, we open the door. Lord, I can open the door of my heart as every person in this room can open the door of his or her own heart. We choose to open the door and give you unrestricted access. Lord, we want to get rid of all the clutter. We want to get rid of our thing. Jesus, we want you in the house. We want you there. Lord, more than we want the good singing, more than we want anything else, Jesus, we want you in the house. 
Jesus come into your church again. We choose to be agents who open the door. We choose to freely choose you to come in the door. We want you tonight. Lord God, I pray that as, as we move forward from, from this room, that we each make a commitment to seek after you like never before. Not to earn anything from you, but God, that we might hear what you have to say. Do what you say do. Be what you say be in this hour. Lord, we repent. We repent of being lukewarm. We repent of being afraid. We repent, God, of, of allowing ourselves to believe the deception of the world that has convinced us other than what your word says to us. Lord, we choose. We choose to hear. We choose to say. We choose to do exactly what you say. And we pray tonight for Donald Trump. We pray, God, that you will protect him. We pray, God, you will protect his mind, his body. We pray, God, that as you put him in this place of, of, of authority in this nation, God, that you would silence the voice of the wicked and let his voice rise above all the others, God, in Jesus' name. Lord, we bind the deception over the people. We bind it now in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we pray that he gets reelected to another term. Lord, we know that you put him where he is now. And we believe that it's your will for him to stay there for four more years after this. God, we thank you tonight. We believe and speak to your church. And by the way, Satan, we speak to you. And we demand the spirit of tyranny. We demand the spirit of anarchy. We demand it. Leave the people of God in Jesus' name. We demand you go. We command you stop. Lord, I pray for the wisdom among the police and, 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 and the, the, the law enforcement people who are stopping the anarchy. Lord, we bind that spirit of Antifa and we command it to be silent in Jesus' name. Humiliate it, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. We declare through our God, we shall do valiantly. It is he that treads down our enemy. God, we thank you tonight and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.